Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Her name was Claris, and as she introduced herself, she said to me, I'm the weirdo that everybody's going to be telling you about. Now, understand, I'd just been voted in as the pastor of the church I'd be serving for the next several years, and I was in the middle of a receiving line of all these people who were about to become my new congregation. So with that in mind, how was I supposed to respond to something like that? Oh, no, I said, weirdo? Of course not. But I soon found out that Claris was absolutely right about what she said. There were several folks in that congregation who made a point of coming to tell me about Claris. In fact, a few felt moved to even warn me about her. Claris, you see, was what I came to refer to as our resident charismatic. By that I mean that this woman had a very strong belief in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the gifts that Spirit would bestow. She'd been known, for instance, to speak in tongues from time to time both during worship and at deacons' meetings. She was a fervent believer, and as she described it to me, a first-hand witness of the miracle of spiritual healing. And she was also one of those people who spoke with God in just the same manner and with the same immediacy that you and I might talk to each other. Many was the morning over the years when Claris would call me and say to me, God spoke to me this morning and, and told me I should call you and let you know such and such. I'll be honest with you. Pastorally speaking, at times, Claris could be really, well, let's just go with challenging. There was, for instance, that one Halloween when the kids were little. And we'd hung this flag out in front of our house that had on it a picture of a witch on a broom. You know, Halloween stuff. But Claris promptly came over to read me the riot act for displaying satanic symbols at the parsonage. Then, in a perhaps not unrelated incident, she got it into her head that she was being led to come into our home and pray prayers of cleansing at the parsonage, which she did, and in the process managed to absolutely terrify our daughter, who was about four or five years old at the time. Claris also spoke her mind. Whatever the setting, I can tell you that whenever Claris raised her hand during prayer concerns and worship, the whole congregation would collectively stop breathing just for a moment or two, because you literally had no idea what was going to happen next. But along with being one of our more active members, she was also, most of the time at least, one of the kindest sweetest, and certainly one of the most genuinely caring people in our congregation. So we tended to overlook a few of the so-called weirdo parts of her personality. In fact, we came to see it as a, a great blessing for our church. Because I'll tell you something else. I've rarely met anyone as committed to a discipline of prayer as was Claris. Every single morning, like clockwork, she'd go to a reading room to pray. She had this lengthy prayer list on which Lisa, the children, and I were all included, along with so many others. 
and she would pray for each and every person on that list by name. And every so often, when she'd turn up my door, it was either to ask me if I would pray with her for someone in need, or more often than not, to pray for me, even at times to, to anoint me with oil. And here's the thing, whether she knew it or not, and in all actuality, there were plenty of reasons for her not to know, Clarice always managed somehow to show up to pray with me and for me at exactly, exactly the right time. It was truly prayer that was both powerful and effective. And I came to understand that this was a gift of God's grace bestowed in the workings of a faithful and righteous heart. Even all these years later, I am still very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for Clarice and her truly prayerful attitude. In the New Testament book of James, that epistle in which the prevailing theme resonating throughout its five chapters is the need for Christians to live with authenticity, one of the most profound and practical admonitions for faithful living there comes in the imperative, dare I say, the requirement to pray. Prayer is the first sign of our authenticity as Christians, after all, and it represents the beginning steps of our walk along the pathway of wisdom and righteousness. But understand, as James lays it out in the fifth chapter of his epistle, that this amounts to far more than simply being careful to say our table graces or to bow our heads appropriately on a Sunday morning. Nor, might I add, is it ever meant to be an action of last resort, you know, the old scenario of there being no atheists in foxholes. No, what James is talking about here is the practice of prayer. Prayer is a discipline. Prayer as a way of life. Prayer as a true function of who we are as God's people. Are any among you suffering? James asks. They should pray. Is anyone happy amongst you? Then they should sing songs of praise, letting their prayers come forth in melody and harmony. How about those of you who are sick? Then, says James, they should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The point is that whether things are going wonderfully or whether they're going very badly, whether we're sick or we're well, whether we have sinned or if we stand in the need of mercy and forgiveness, or whether we are very much aware of others in need, the first and best thing we can do and need to do is to pray. As one preacher by the name of J.D. Hoke has put it, you pray when you've been bruised, you pray when you've been broken, you pray when it's clear you are backslidden. Because the act and attitude of prayers, friends, is our avenue to a life-changing relationship with a living God who walks with us on the way and who leads us to true wisdom. And so, as such, it's not only our great imperative as believers, it is our spiritual gift. In this cynical age, some would claim that prayer is merely whistling in the dark, just another kind of deluded wishful thinking. 
Others would claim that prayer is a special power, extended only to the very privileged few, say, for instance, my friend Claris. But in fact, prayer is no less than the sacred privilege of speaking with God, and it is our conversation, your conversation, my conversation, with the living God of the cosmos, the Almighty One, who has both the power and the will to save, to raise up, to heal, and to bring peace. And even more than this, it is a way of walking and talking with our closest friend. I believe, dear friends, that in these days of confused situations, it is prayer that strengthens us. It's prayer that emboldens us. It is prayer that changes hearts as it changes lives, both on a personal and global scale. I also believe, and I believe this with all my heart, that if each one of us would simply take the time to purposefully and personally pray to the Lord our God, there would be no telling what amazing things God will do for us, with us, and for the sake of his beloved creation in such a time as this. So what else is there to say here except let us pray? And that's it for another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.